You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 32, covering For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky and Tholian Web. Hello, every people. How's it going? We will be here for the next half hour telling you the title of the first episode we're reviewing, so... Yes. Uh, Better just jump into it, Matt. Yeah, probably not, not a bad idea for us to get into. Yeah, usually we do a little opening banter here, a little get to know you, a little, uh, hey, how's it going? But, uh, Unfortunately, there's absolutely no time for that. No, we got to be all business this week. So, Matt, please uh, take it away with your episode, won't you? All right, I reviewed For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the City on the Edge of the Gamesters of the Ultimate Corbomanite Man Who Has Gone Before with Muds Within the Man Trap of the Charlie X's Little Girls Were Made of the Conscience of the King of Gothos's Arena in the Dark on the Errand of Mercy to Galileo's Seven's Alternate Factor to the Doomsday Machine by any other name. Private Little War with the Changeling and the Fold uh, Obsession with the Immunity Syndrome Whom Gods Destroy the Witch survi- Survives the Way to Eden in a Wink of Plato's Stepchild. It's naked time, short leave. Thanks. All right. The Enterprise is attacked by the exceedingly shitty missiles while dicking about in space, and Kirk decides to find out who is taking pot shots at them while they're, ha- while they're trying to have extremely important routine health checkups. Kirk is also informed that there is someone on the ship with an extremely rare and incurable disease, and it's Bones! Dun-dun-dun! Bones insists that he is fully capable of doing his job and requests that Kirk keep the news under his hat. So Kirk does the smart thing and immediately calls Starfleet to ask for a replacement. Enterprise tracks down the source of the shitty missiles, a shitty asteroid that is traveling through space. A quick scan reveals that A, the asteroid is actually a crazy-ass spaceship, B, everybody on on it is apparently dead Dave, even Rimmer, and C, but the asteroid is on a collision course for the planet Darren 1. Apparently everyone thinks that this is a pretty big deal, but I don't see why. Uh, They can easily replace it with Darren 2, and I doubt anyone will ever notice. (sighs) Kirk, Spock, and Bones all beam down to look around and discover that the asteroid is covered in Super Mario-style pipes. These pipes are actually secret elevators out of which pour gay clown pirates who capture them. The leader of these people is Natira, a very lovely woman who has been coated with saran wrap to maintain her freshness. And the ship that they are on is called the Yanada. It's a generational arc ship on a 10,000-year journey to their sacred destination, Camp Granada. She also introduces them to their god, the Oracle, a 2001-style monolith with a Christmas tree ornament tattooed at the front of it. The Oracle then knocks them all out because it's a jerk like that. Landing party eventually wakes up, Bones slightly slower than Kirk and Spock, giving the captain just enough time to blab Bones a secret to the commander. And as everyone knows, Spock is the biggest gossip on the Enterprise. <laughs> Kirk notices Natira's interest in Bones and suggests he uses this to learn more about the planet. And also to get Bones laid before he goes to the big sick, big sick bay in the sky. While Bones is living up to his name and knocking boots with the high priestess, Spock and Kirk split off to go search for clues Scooby-Doo style. Quick investigation of the Oracle's temple reveals that the people of Yanada were originally from a race called the Fabrini, a race of ancient odor destroyers before the, whose planet went nova. The rest of the, they spend the intervening time searching for a new habitable planet. Just then, Natera arrives, prompting Kirk and Spock to hide in a vase. This plan fails by being both poorly thought out and incredibly stupid, and so the Oracle catches them and sentences them to death. It also gives permission for Natera and Bones to be married, although God knows who is going to plan his bachelor party now. Bones, realizing that he's falling for, Natira, yeah, for Natira, agrees to stay with his to stay with her if his buddies are allowed to go free. Natira agrees, and Kirk leaves his best friend behind because that's what he's best at. Natira teaches Bones in the ways of her crazy backwards ass religion and shows him their Bible, which nobody has ever bothered to read. Turns out it's the owner's manual for the asteroid, and Bones calls the Enterprise to tell them that he can teach Spock how to steer. 
This angers the Oracle, who knocks Bones out because he's a dick like that, and Bones hasn't spent nearly enough of this episode unconscious. Kirk and Spock arrive back, helping Bones and discovering that the Oracle has started to malfunction. Using the repair manual, they manage to fix the thing as well as the ship's course. Natera decides to stay with her people, and McCoy leaves to explore the universe in search of a cure that would actually ma- which would actually make a lot more sense for Bones' character than just waiting around to die. Oh, but uh, then it turns out that there's a cure on the Yanada, so, you know, that's handy. Oh, man. This is, so you know, we, we've, little uh, happens. Yeah, I was impressed that you managed to tease this much description out of an episode where so little happened. And... Oh, well, that's what I'm good at. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, you know, half of that was title, but it deserves that. Yeah. The the thing is, we've we've gone on and on about how one of our favorite characters, if not both our favorite characters in this series, is Bones. He's great. Yes. I love him. I love his interaction with Spock in particular, but by himself, I'm I'm a big fan. And it's great that, that he has some serious stuff to do. It's great that he yeah. gets to fall in love, but he deserved better than this. Yeah, he, like, Bones doesn't get a whole lot of episodes. Uh, like, the only other one I can really think of off the top of my head is The Man Trap, and that was way back at the beginning of the series. True. And, I mean, he's been... Oh, go ahead. He, I mean, he's been like he's been the third main character for the entire run. So you know, it was really nice to give him an episode. It's just too bad it had nothing to do in it. Well, the thing is, I mean, we don't get a lot of Kirk heavy episodes either. I mean, he's always the main guy, but there's not a lot really that has to do with his actual. You know, like uh, there was um, there was Kirok, yeah, and there's a few here and there. I'm not saying there are none, but I'm saying it's not like the entire show is about Kirk. Also starring Spock and Bones. Actually, mostly it's about Spock. That is true. Which I'm not complaining about. But uh, but you're right. If if they are three co-leads, then the mm. Bones should be getting more to do. Yes. And it was disappointing. And and part of that is not the writing. I mean, the, the writing definitely is to blame. But part of that is not the fault of the writing. It's the fault of this is what TV was like in the late 60s, which is... We're used to, like, season-long arcs and long-running, like, we're, we're used to a show that would be able to set up the fact that Bones is sick, uh, milk that for a couple of episodes, then let him fall in love, then let mm. him decide to stay behind, and it would really have more impact instead of trying to cram it all into a, an hour. That sounds like a show I'd really like to watch. Well, yeah. And uh, fortunately, when we get to Deep Space Nine, they actually get to do that kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, that that was, I mean, that's, again, not really the fault directly of the writers, that particular part of it. It's more the fault of the way TV was. I mean, apart from soap operas, you didn't get a lot of that in, in yeah. TV dramas. So it's, it's that's not their fault. But that said, this is one of those times, I actually thought in the Kirok episode, it was handled pretty well that they, they put that three-month gap in there so you believed Kirk fell in love. Yeah. Here, it was just what I was talking about the other side of that, which is in an hour... Bones falls in love, gets married, and uh, decides to stay, and I I just didn't buy it. No. I mean, I'm willing to believe that, uh, you know, he did find out he was dying that morning. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to believe that he would, you know, be making drastic life changes just because he he was, like, you know, having to deal with that all of a sudden. Well, yeah, and my, my initial reaction was no. The Bones that I know would stay behind and work hard to find a cure for him and everyone else that, that has what he had. Bonitis, mm. I assume. But, um... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even intend the double meaning there. Wow. <laughs> um, but instead, he he charged down to the planet and made all these drastic decisions. And your interpretation was no. When he first found out he was dying, he might do something a little crazy yeah. and a little impulsive. And I, okay, I can buy that. And I mean, by the end of the day, he's you know, I, I mean, yes, he did get married, and he's now decided to abandon his wife to go look for a cure. But you know, I, I, that I sort of buy. You know. Yeah, and he is still married. Like, he leaves the planet, yep. or, you know, the fake planet, still um, 
still attached. And yep. um, one of the books, uh, one of the book series, actually, that I intend to be reading and uh, reviewing for the blog, uh, or you'll do it. I mean, I know we're both uh, we're both taking a look at these. The uh, the Lost Years, yeah, series uh, picks that up where he actually goes back. So I mean, the, you know, there's at least uh, if not official canon, somebody somewhere decided, oh yeah, this is a loose thread. Somebody needs to follow up on this. <laughs> uh, you guys remember Bones got married, right? What? Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell. Sure, I don't remember that. No, it happened in For the World is Hollow, and unfortunately, everyone he was talking to fell asleep before he could finish the episode title. <laughs> you know, we, we kid about that, and it is a ridiculously long title, but there's something cool about that. There's something very 60s, like, on the one hand, you got, you know, stuff like the Corbomite Maneuver, the Doomsday mm. Machine, the, you know, the Modala Imperative, which was a comic. But, you know, you got mm. those great, like, three-word, you know, bam, like, action titles. But I actually don't mind these more literary-sounding, longer ones, too. Let That Be mm. Your Last Battlefield, or, like, um, even What Are Little Girls Made Of? Like, there's, there's a, there is kind of a coolness to that that I don't think you would get now. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we're not going to mock it relentlessly. Oh, we mock everything relentlessly. That's the point. That's our job. Yeah. Um, I did like the set design. We were both kind of impressed with, um, with the way the big chamber looked where the monolith was. Yeah, for uh, for an episode that was you know without much happening, they certainly made up for it with the sets. Now the the extras, uh, the costuming, and even the people they cast were just kind of not very impressive. Yeah, they had like, in addition to having multicolored tarps for clothing, they looked very like pajamas. Like they just yes. flat out, they were just flowing and very colorful in the way that pajamas are. It's like it, it, it's like everyone on the planet was dressed in a oh god what the hell are the real ones called I keep wanting to call them slankets now oh god the um I know what you're talking about though snuggies yeah. snuggies yeah yeah and then those everyone hats. looked like they were wearing one of those and a hat that was actually a cup holder <laughs> I'm pretty sure very similar outfits were worn on the planet um and I can't remember the name well I definitely can't remember the name of the planet but I also can't remember the episode late season one where they're on that planet that um. Uh, where where they have the simulated war and they all have to report for execution. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure um, the hats are very similar to what they wore on that mm. planet. Apparently in the Star Trek universe, people need to be able to reach their cups at a moment's notice. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the set design, actually not bad. No, uh, the main, uh, like the Oracle Temple looked great. Yeah. Now, mind you, how many times have we seen... Primitive culture actually ruled by an ancient, more advanced culture that is really a computer that was left behind to watch over them. I mean, th- th- how many times have we this, seen this story? I think now? this season we've seen that 87 times. Uh, but it's certainly not this season alone. I mean, Landru no. was, was one of those, and uh, Val, Val from, from our most hated computer. episode was one of those. Um, the I, snake cuter. <laughs> I, well, you know, snake computers are... Uh, are, are a powerful force in the Federation. I mean, the Anacommodore 64 was uh, <laughs> unquestionably one of the greatest computers ever created. <laughs> so glad you gave me the opportunity to work that in there. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I just, I really overall wish this episode was not so forgettable. It was, it was a story we'd kind of seen before. It was nothing particularly great. It focused on one of our best characters, one of our favorite characters, and it really deserved more. It deserved yeah. to be not a forgettable episode. It deserved to be for Bones, something like a mock time, where it's like... Yeah, exactly. Not only does he get something to do that's important, but we also learn more about him. And we just, it just kind of blew that opportunity. Yeah. And it was it was all in the writing. I mean, it wasn't the production... Like, it wasn't because they had a good script and they blew it by having cheesy effects. It wasn't, you know, because of the acting. 
It was full on just because of the script because they didn't try hard enough. Yeah, it just uh, yeah, just uh, just very wasted opportunity. It feels like. Also, uh, how did how exactly did they touch the sky? I don't think that was ever properly addressed. I, I imagine that the entire race of people just routinely st- get up on their tiptoes and bat madly at the air. So. I guess, I mean, we're looking at this thing, which is mostly around, I mean, sort of lopsided to make it look more like an asteroid, but it's an asteroid, mm-hmm. like a round planetoidy thing, just kind of traveling on its own power. Are they inside it, I guess? Like the world I, is I, hollow? I think so, yeah. Because when I see something that looks like a planet, I just assume the people live on the surface. But I guess mm. if the world is hollow, this thing is actually hollowed out and the sky would be the inner surface of the of the thing. Yeah, so really the world is hollow and I have touched the ceiling. Right. Well, ponder that, won't you? <laughs> Anything else? Are you ready to move on? I think that's it for and the world is hollow and I have to... <clears throat> no, don't start that again. I'm half tempted to dub in your earlier reading, just uh, like the uh, the Python, Johan Gabo Buddy von Oster. <laughs> but I won't subject our listeners to that. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I got... This is the only episode I specifically requested this season. I don't care if I get stuck with the crap the rest of the year. This is the only one I really gave a damn about in season. Good to know. Um, uh, the Tholian web. I'm going to be honest with you here. This may be the greatest episode of Star Trek ever produced. It has almost everything I want from this show. And the only reason I use the qualifier almost is because they didn't manage to work in Chekhov being shot. So the Enterprise rushes in to investigate a distress call from the USS Defiant. No, not the Defiant from Deep Space Nine. This is the original Defiant. It's the same kind of ship as the Enterprise. Every ship was the same kind of ship as the Enterprise back then. Well, except the Enterprise doesn't fade in and out of reality at scheduled intervals. That's one special power the Defiant has, I guess. Kirk and his two pals, plus Chekhov, beam over to the ship in their awesome <laughs> spacesuits, which we're seeing now for the first time and won't ever see again as far as I know, to discover that everyone went mad and killed each other. The Defiant begins fading back out of reality, so the crew hightails it out of there, except for Kirk, who, naturally, wins the argument over who should be the hero and stay behind, since the transporter can only grab three of them. Bok assures him that the Defiant will fade back into existence in about two hours and they'll rescue him then. Only in the meantime, the crew begins feeling the space madness generated by space going all wonky. We didn't have the phrase spatial anomaly in the original series. And oh yeah, then the Tholians show up. If you're keeping track at home, that's four or five awesome things happening simultaneously now. But not in a confusing way. It just all stacks on top of each other as the danger escalates, and it's really cool. The Tholians sound a bit like Daleks, look a bit like a fortune in precious stones, and the ships create this elaborate web, hence the title, that traps the Enterprise, leaving it incapable of rescuing Kirk at the appointed time. Bok is forced to declare Kirk dead as a result, and holds a memorial service for the crew, who continue their descent into space madness. Spock and Bones disagree, because of course they do, and then they make their way to Kirk's quarters where they play a tape of his final wishes, where Kirk gives a really amazing speech about how awesome they both are, and how they just need to stop bickering, and I think I have something in my eye. And see, that's a testament to just how much I love Spock and Bones. Kirk, to whom I'm largely indifferent, can die, and I feel sad for the other guys who lost their friend. Of course, Kirk can't stand not being the center of attention, so his ghost starts haunting the Enterprise the second people start showing signs that they might be moving on with their lives. Oh, except, right, science fiction. Ghosts aren't real, no matter what Brandon Braga may have tried to sell you on Voyager. Turns out that Kirk's still trapped in that other universe, which sort of leaks over into our own. Eventually, the crew work out what's happening, rescue Kirk, and free themselves of the Tholian's web. So yeah, just really, really great episode. Maybe. Oh I, yeah, absolutely. I I would have to watch this against one or two other contenders, but this may very well be my fa- single favorite episode of the original series. Just so much great stuff. Going yeah, on. I I still think I prefer the Doomsday Machine, but damn, this was good. 
But it's no surprise that my contender for a favorite episode features Kirk disappearing in the first act. Yeah, you're not wrong there. I kind of like him as a symbol. I like him as other people reacting to him, but he doesn't actually have to be there. No, not really. And uh, <laughs> once again, we, we notice this. Um, this can't be accidental. We've said this before. Whenever Kirk isn't there, suddenly the rest of the crew, uh, their opinions matter. They're, they're acting more like a team. Uh, mm-hmm. Spock's saying things like, Mr. Sulu, what do you think? <laughs> Just stuff we never see happening when Kirk is there. I beg your pardon? Wait, nobody's ever asked me before. I'm so happy. (laughs) This is the best birthday ever. It's your birthday? (laughs) I mean, yes. Yes, happy birthday. (laughs) The, um, that that scene where, uh, Spock and Bones are listening to, uh, to Kirk's little, uh, speech to them in, in his quarters. Seriously. Maybe one of my single favorite scenes. Just, oh yeah, Frig, that was cool. And, and no, like no crazy sci-fi stuff going on. No anything. It's all character. It's all just, just these two guys dealing with their I, supposedly dead friend, and just mm-hmm. such good stuff. Oh, fuck, Eulogy's not bad either. Like uh, no, they didn't like they. Sometimes they play that card where oh he doesn't care that people are dead, but you can tell he's moved. You can tell he's trying to respect people's feelings. Yeah, and he gives a nice little speech. It's uh, quite nice. And also, they t- you know they take care of it in the middle of like a crisis. So like, yeah, he's got to he's got to get it over quick, and everyone knows that. Yeah, and for once, not everyone's giving him crap. Uh, Bones gives him a bit of crap, saying, "Oh, well, you just want his command. You don't care if he's dead." But uh, I attributed that to being a jerk. Well, that and I, I kind of chalked that up to the space madness. I kind of thought maybe he was starting to feel the the twinges of that, and he doesn't really think that. Yeah, I'd also buy this is how Bones handles grief. That's true too. Getting a little angry. Yeah. Being a little hostile. That that makes sense. But I thought maybe, you know, the, the outer, uh, sort of the, the, the basic effects of the space madness were, were starting to affect him, and maybe that sort of amplified his uh, his normal reaction. But, I mean, that's total speculation on my part. Or maybe he misses his wife. That could be. <laughs> Remember her? Anybody? I just, I love that the Tholians were this brand new race that just showed up and did something really cool. They were exotic. They were alien looking. They mm-hmm. had this neat the the web thing that they did, but it, that wasn't really the episode. There was just so much going on, and they yeah, were just... the Tholians were barely it, like in it. We see one dude for like ten, like five minutes. Yeah, and and then two ships, sort of like um, the two of them forming this um, this energy, like this this strip of energy that they're literally just drawing this web around the ship so that they can't escape. It just it's really cool and. Yeah, it, it would have been really easy, and it, w- it wouldn't have yeah. affected the episode to make them just Klingons or Romulans or whatever. But on top of all this other cool stuff happening, they invented this brand new race, which looked alien, acted different, and added a whole new level to it, which I thought was really cool. Now, did we uh, we we watch the uh, the updated version again? Have you seen what the Tholians looked like in the original episode? Like, was it a was it a puppet or like they a didn't? No, no, no. Or? It was it was just the same. It was like a painting of just its face. Huh? They they um they enhanced it a little, but they didn't uh-huh. change the look of it at all. Um, hmm. The Tholians wouldn't appear on screen again, I think, until Enterprise, until they did their Mirror Universe episode, and they decided <laughs> that their heads were on this little skittery spider body and. Uh, I think that's just someone taking it too literally. Oh, they make a web, so they're spider people. Uh, come yes. on, they're, they're like these cool-looking gem people. They were very, like, there was no need to make them look like that. I like the idea that they hop around on, like, a stump. <laughs> I, I just, I really liked the uniqueness of the ships. I liked the way they were designed. I just, like, yep. there should have been more of this in Star Trek. You don't, and it, I, I don't imagine it costs a lot of money to make a, a painting glow. No. There should have been more of just 
randomly running into antagonistic aliens that we'd never seen before. I just, like I've said, I've said this a few times already, but I love how much is going on there. I love all the, like the phasing in and out of reality, the space madness, the Tholians, the death of Kirk. Each one of those things could have been an episode on its own. Yeah. But altogether, it just made it so much cooler. It, it feels like Star Trek, like original series Star Trek, is at its best when it just throws a whole bunch of crap in at the same time, you know? Yeah, instead of padding out one idea, especially an idea we've seen 10 or 15 times before. Yeah. That, that's like, definitely my preference. And, and once like it again, feels like a, like, another, another definite uh, one of my top episodes where they haven't gone to a planet. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think any of my favorite episodes involve exploring strange new worlds. It's always... Mm-hmm. It's always the space adventure stuff. More, more bottle shows, please. Yes, exactly. I feel bad for Uhura. Uh, well, as per usual, yes. Yeah, but I mean, this is she actually had some lines. Mm-hmm. She actually had a little to do, but it was all, oh, I miss the captain. And then, yay, the captain's back. I miss the captain. No, you don't. Oh, you don't miss the captain. Just, You're glad he's gone. I just want to get back to work. <laughs> But, I mean, we saw her, like, not in uniform. Not like that, you pervs. We saw her in, uh, in her civilian clothes. Yep. And hanging out in her quarters. It was, it was a nice moment. But sort of uh, sort of ruined by the fact that she's pining over her hero. We also learned that uh, her, at some point or another in her uh, illustrious Starfleet career, won the award for biggest cup. <laughs> yeah, she had that prominently displayed in her room, like we all would if we won that. <laughs> Oh, uh, something I learned looking on Memory Alpha. I know I hate to steal your Memory Alpha thunder here, but uh, I couldn't I couldn't re- uh, ignore this. According to Memory Alpha, in Japan, this episode was called Crisis of Captain Kirk, who was thrown into different dimensional space. Now, why wasn't it called that here? That rocks! <laughs> I, Matt, if, if seriously, if we gave our voice guy Dave for The World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky and... Crisis of Captain Kirk, who was thrown into different dimensional space. <laughs> he would never stop yelling at me once he got his breath back. <laughs> Guy thinks I'm wordy. These titles aren't even my fault. There's there's a point where Kirk, like, he's in, he's in that other universe, and he, he comes back, and he's talking about what it was like there. <clears throat> and he says it was completely empty. He was the only person there. How can you tell? You're in space. It's like, well, presumably, if there was anyone here, they'd want to come talk to me, so... <laughs> Like, I just, I doubt if you deposited someone in their spacesuit in the middle of any point in the Federation, it would look empty because space is fucking huge and the next nearest planet would be, you know, mm-hmm. a million light years away. So, uh, what? Shut up. <laughs> the universe wasn't empty, you you conceited ass. I was the only one there. No, you weren't. Must have been your uh. lifelong ambition. <laughs> So uh, any, anything else about this one? I mean, I, I really wish I could make fun of it more, but I have no, well, it was, I have no bones to pick it, at all. It was so good. There's just nothing, like, there's nothing I can make fun of. Yeah. Chekhov had, like, two lines, and they weren't irritating. So, I mean, I can't even go so to that So that was a plus? Well. I can't even go to that well. It's just, everything's, uh, everything's exactly where I want it. Thanks, Chekhov, for keeping your mouth yeah. shut. Exactly. And didn't say that, you know, um... Phasing into other spaces invented in Russia or anything like that. <laughs> well, you know, the Defiant was built in Russia. Uh, shut up. Just, just shut up. <laughs> Go sit in your box. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else on this one? Uh, no, I believe that is it. Okay. Tell us about In the Future of Very Long Titles. All right. In the Future! In the future! Episode sure, titles sure. will be so long that entire civilizations will evolve and fall between the syllables. <laughs> 
Uh, and, and for mine, for the Tholian web, in the future, in the future there will be only future. one kind of starship. Fortunately, it will be the most awesome kind of all. <laughs> you got a you got a quote. I yeah. Uh, I have a feeling I know where this is going. Yeah. For the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Does not contain any memorable lines at all. So, oh. I went with this one. Many years ago, I climbed the mountains, even though it is forbidden. Why is it forbidden? I am not sure. But things are not as they teach us. For the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Hey, that's the name of the show. <laughs> I, on the other hand, went with a bit of a, somehow a longer one. I don't know how that that happened. No, no the, uh, the the speech that I was talking about that um, that Kirk gives, just uh, I I didn't know where to cut this off, so I'm using the whole thing, and uh, it's just I, I'm a big softy when it comes to these guys. What can, what can I tell you? Sure. Since you are playing this tape, we will assume that I am dead, and the tactical situation is critical, and both of you are locked in mortal combat. It means, Spock, that you have control of the ship and are probably making the most difficult decisions of your career. I can offer only one small piece of advice for whatever it's worth. Use every scrap of knowledge and logic you have to save the ship, but temper your judgment with intuitive insight. I believe you have those qualities, but if you can't find them in yourself, seek out McCoy, ask his advice. And if you find it sound, take it. Bones, you've heard what I've just told Spock. Help him if you can. But remember, he is the captain. His decisions must be followed without question. You might find that he is capable of human insight and human error. They are most difficult to defend. But you will find that he is deserving of the same loyalty and confidence each of you have given me. So that happened. So that is all. That is all for this week. Um... Anything else, Matt? I, I keep. I feel like there was something. Oh, there was one other thing we did need to to mention. Yes, quickly. There is a fan film out there. It's like a minute and thirty seconds long that fixes oh. what what the new Star Trek movie, the two thousand nine movie, did to the continuity. Mm-hmm. I, I would just, Matt, if you wouldn't mind joining me in holding our our middle fingers up at, at the whole idea that anything needs to be fixed, or that yeah. those stories don't count anymore, or any kind of nitpicky nerd bullshit like yeah. that. I hope you can see this, because I'm doing it as hard as I can. (laughs) Shake harder, boy. (laughs) All right, that's all. We will be back next week. See you guys. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2011. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.